the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. The Bible says, and I told you this before, that when Michael the Archangel had to deal with Satan, he said, the Lord rebuke you. And, and he showed absolute respect for him. He didn't, he didn't go on the war path throwing all kinds of things at him, yelling into that. President Theodore Roosevelt used to say that the United States should speak softly and carry a big stick. To help Christians, as individuals involved in spiritual warfare, God has done better than give us a stick. He has given us a sword, the sword of the Spirit. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff is guiding us in a study of the armor of God. Pastor Steve has been serving at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida for more than 26 years. We are nearing the conclusion of our study of spiritual warfare. We will find Paul's list of the pieces of armor in Ephesians chapter 6. Let's take a look now at the only weapon on that list. This morning, as we continue our study on spiritual warfare, we have actually come to the sixth and final piece of armor that God has provided for our protection. It is our sword. And I'd like you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. The last phrase of verse 17 very succinctly says this. Paul tells us to take up the sword of the Spirit, which he identifies for us as the Word of God. Now, next week, we're still going to proceed with our series, but because we're going to study, verse 18 speaks about prayer, and and prayer is also related to our battle with Satan, but it is not presented specifically as a piece of armor worn by a soldier, and remember, that's the analogy here. Paul is in prison himself, chained to a Roman guard, a Roman soldier. He would have had the man right in front of him. It would have brought to his mind what a soldier looks like as he's dressed for battle. And so that's what he's doing. He's making spiritual, uh, a spiritual analogy between each piece of armor and the armor that God has given us. So prayer is not specifically part of a soldier's gear, but it is related to our battle with Satan. So we will study that. Now, what we are going to see today is the last piece of armor then. It it completes the wardrobe, and that is in keeping with what Paul said at the beginning of chapter 6, or at least this series, uh, beginning with verse 10, where he speaks of the whole armor of God, the full armor of God, the complete armor of God. In other words, with this final piece of armor, this sword, we are now fully protected and ready to engage in warfare with the devil. We were not ready until this this point. And there's good reason for the sword being the final touch that completes this battle gear. See, a Roman soldier's sword differed from all the other pieces of armor that he wore. All the other pieces of armor that we've studied so far have one thing in common. Their goal and design is to protect the soldier, to protect him 
in the sense that they are defensive weapons alone. A sword is not only defensive, it's for offensive purposes as well. Now think with me for a moment. The belt, the belt of truth that he spoke about, the belt protected a soldier from becoming entangled with his own loose clothing. That was for his own protection, so he wouldn't trip over it, so he wouldn't get engaged in the loose clothing when he should have been engaged in battling his enemy. His breastplate protected his vital organs from being stabbed. That's the purpose of a breastplate. His shoes also protected him from being unsteady, unstable, to have firm footing as he engaged in hand-to-hand combat. He can't be pushed around on the ground. You have to have shoes that have stability and little spikes that go into the earth. His shield protected him from the flaming arrows piercing his body, and his helmet protected his head from being crushed by a broad sword. So all of, of these pieces of armor are are strictly for defensive purposes until you come to the soldier's sword. That's different. It's different. It's distinct from all the other pieces of armor because, as I, as I said, it really served a dual purpose. It was for defensive reasons as well as it was an offensive weapon. With his sword, a Roman soldier could and did resist his enemy, but he would also use it to attack his enemy. Therefore, this is a unique piece of armor because it served as the only offensive weapon at the soldier's disposal. Now this morning, we want to learn not only the meaning of the sword of the spirit, but how does God intend for us to use it? We want to be skilled swordsmen, defensively as well as offensively. Once again, I think the best approach in a series like this is to ask pertinent questions, and by the answers we get, It'll drive us into the Bible to think biblically as we work our way through this text. So let's, let's ask three questions. Question number one. First question that helps us determine the meaning and the usage of the sword of the Spirit. It says, what was the nature of the sword used by a Roman soldier? What was its very nature? What was it like? Because remember, that's the analogy. You really can't understand the spiritual sword unless you understand the culturally, the historical sword. Now, although some ancient soldiers used these large, heavy broadswords, that was not the common sword used by a Roman foot soldier. And this is very important to understand. We know that from history. We also know it from the word, the word that Paul uses. The sword that Paul's referring to here is not a big, clumsy sword. It is a double-edged, short sword. It's the word he uses, that's the background of this. It was basically a large knife, or what we might call a dagger. It can vary, it did vary in length from anywhere from 6 to 18 inches, and it was used for hand-to-hand combat. So get that in your mind, that's very important. You and I, just looking at this at first glance, may not see the significance of this, but this is vital that we understand. He's talking about a precision-type instrument. Not a large, clumsy instrument. You see, with the invention of these smaller type swords, uh, ancient warfare was revolutionized. Never the same. Prior to the use of the dagger, the large sword that, uh, that would have been used in battles, they were, they were awkward, they were clumsy, they were uh, hard to control, they were very weighty. Uh, a soldier would normally wield this very cumbersome broadsword in a wild sort of fashion and just hope that he hit his opponent. It was really not an easy thing to use. They were not very efficient with it. But with the use of these smaller dagger-type swords, the the, uh, soldier could be much more precise. He would be skillful, more efficient in fighting his enemy. 
Now the point, and, and keep this in mind, we're building a case here. This is extremely important. The point that Paul is making is that God has given us not just a, a big sword at all, but a precision type sword to fight Satan with. And that sword is identified as the word of God. In fact, as I noted before, of all the pieces of armor, this is the only one in which Paul specifically identifies for us what it is. All the other ones, we have to do some interpretive homework. Here, you don't have to do any, any kind of interpretive guesses. You don't have to uh, think about it much. He, he interprets it for us. He defines it. It is the sword of the Spirit. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. But what we do need to figure out is how we're supposed to use this word like a sword in combating Satan. I want you to follow with me this morning because you're going to have to think a little bit. We've come now to a second question. We already understand what the Roman sword was like, a precision instrument. Keep that in mind. That's important. Second question says, how do we use the word of God as a weapon against Satan? Now, as we said earlier, a soldier's sword could be used both as defensive and offensive weapons. He used it He would use it to deflect his enemy's blows as well as inflicting blows upon his enemy. But in in order to properly use it, whether it be for defensive or offensive purposes, we do need to understand exactly what Paul means when he identifies the sword as the word of God. You and I may think we know what that means, but that's only a surface guess unless you have dug into this. You see, in the Greek New Testament, there are two words that can be translated uh, with the word word. Two terms that you can translate as word. One is the very common Greek word, lagos. Lagos refers to a broad, to broad general statements. It would be the Bible in its, in its entirety. Jesus is the lagos of God. It is uh, just referring, if Paul wanted to refer to the Bible in a general usage from cover to cover, he would have said the lagos of God. But that's not the word that he used. That's not the Greek word that he used. Paul used the other Greek word or term for word, and that is rhema. And that refers not to the Bible as a whole, but to the particular individual specific statements of Scripture. Now, that's important to note. By using the term rhema, he is conveying the thought of particular, individual, specific, appropriate portions of Scripture. Let me, let me clarify this for you from a, from a verse in the Bible. A very well-known verse is Romans ten seventeen, which says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. What word of God? It is the rhema of God. You can translate this. So faith comes from, from hearing and hearing by the rhema of God, not lagos. And I don't want to be too technical here, but this is important for you to understand. Paul, by Romans, in Romans 17, he is not saying that faith in Christ for salvation comes from hearing just any part of Scripture, You wouldn't quote a verse from Obadiah or Amos if you were witnessing to somebody. Unless you're Jack, you would use Ezekiel because he always finds use for Ezekiel. But you wouldn't do that normally. Normally, you wouldn't do that. Why? Because Obadiah and Amos and Ezekiel are not not dealing with the gospel. It's not what they're about. What Paul is teaching is that faith in Christ for salvation comes from hearing those parts of Scripture that declare the gospel. That's what he's saying. 
The Bible, you don't just use any verse in the Bible to try to lead somebody to Christ. You use a pertinent, specific verse that explains sin, that explains the deity of Christ, explains the atonement, explains the holiness of God, explains faith. I mean, those things, those are particulars. So by understanding that the sword of the Spirit means particular parts of Scripture, we know that the way to effectively use our sword is by using definite and specific biblical truths to counter definite and specific satanic lies. Not general Bible truths that have nothing to do with your own personal struggle. You see, the the Bible is, is not a magical book. It's not a magical book in which you just quote scripture and that's it. Everything, everything gets better in your life. That's not what scripture teaches. It's not magic. Now, you need to know the specific passages of scripture dealing with specific satanic temptations and attacks. Granted, you need to know the whole Bible in its general tenor and flow in order to learn its various truths. But the sword of the spirit is about using the Bible in a detailed and specific way. And by the way, that is also the difference between the belt of truth, which is the first piece of armor, and the sword of the Spirit. Remember, if you can remember back when we started this series, in verse 14, I introduced the first piece of armor when Paul says, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, by saying that this has nothing to do with your personal integrity. The belt of truth is not about you being truthful, although we should be truthful. The belt of truth is about the overall general content of Scripture, and it specifically means a readiness that we have to have to live by those truths. In other words, it's a commitment to live by the truths of Scripture. It's a broad concept. It means that you look at life through the lens of the Bible, through the lens of Scripture. That's how you get ready in the first place for battle. That's, that's what the belt of truth was. And I told you at that time that some people say, no, it can't mean that because later on Paul speaks about Scripture when he speaks of the sword of the Spirit. But you see, that's precisely the point. In verse 14, the belt of truth is the overall general content of the Bible. The sword of the Spirit refers to the individual truths within that overall content of Scripture. That's why it's different. That's why it's not the same precisely why it's important to understand that the sword of the Spirit, now watch this, the sword of the Spirit that God has provided for us is not something big and clumsy and cumbersome. It is a small dagger-life knife used for precision work. Precision versus precision work. It all fits together. You have been given a small dagger, not a large broadsword, because you're dealing with specific, definite portions of scripture it's to be handled the bible is to be handled in a precise manner by using correct and appropriate portions of the bible to fight satan's specific blows i I hope you can grasp that that is so important so the question is then if that's the case then how do we use it how do we use our swords to defend ourselves against satan's attack well let me let me kind of illustrate it in a way that you wouldn't use it. If, for example, you are tempted in the area of moral purity, don't bring to your mind John 3.16. John 3.16 is a wonderful verse. It has nothing, though, to do with moral purity. John 3.16 is about salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's about Christ. That's about faith. 
That's about the atonement. That, that is, has nothing to do with moral purity. So if you think that, well, I'm really going through a hard time with lust, and so I'm just going to quote this verse, that's the stuff I'm talking about. That, that's a, a view that says the Bible's like magic. Just use it, and Satan will flee. That's not true. That's not true. What you would do in a case like that, if you're dealing with moral struggles, is, is bring to your mind an appropriate verse of Scripture that specifically addresses moral purity. For example, 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now that'll help you. And there are verses that follow that, that speak of why you should flee youthful lusts. Or you might go to a passage such as Proverbs 5 or Proverbs 6, which speak of the consequences of adultery. That's the kind of truth, the precision, specific truths that you want to deal with if you're struggling in that area. Or if you find yourself, for example, tempted to be angry, you certainly shouldn't use any verse that pops into your mind unless it deals with anger. Your mind should go, for example, to a specific Uh, portion, passage of scripture, such as Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. Note what Paul says here. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Listen, you hide that in your heart and you use that when you're facing anger and you're ready to explode at somebody, that will protect you. Not any old verse that just comes to your mind. Or if you're hit with the temptation to worry and be fearful, there are many appropriate verses in the Bible that specifically address that. If you're worried about finances and paying your bills and all that's, that's happening in that area, there are many verses that the Bible deals, deals with and, and, and tells us about. For example, Matthew 6.33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Philippians chapter 4, My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Those are the, the types of verses that God wants us to use as precision swords when we are tempted in those areas. See, it's all about correct thinking and letting the right truths of Scripture be your answer to Satan's suggestions. So I told you, the Bible is not the kind of book that you, that you just wave around and everything gets better. That is magic. That's not Bible. Now, we need to know how to use our, our sword properly. We need to become skilled swordsmen, just like an ancient soldier. He wasn't just thrown out on the battlefield. He knew how to use that sword in defending himself. But now watch this. In defending yourself with Scripture, you are also using the Bible as an offensive weapon. That's important that we, that we address this because some people think, as I said before, that the right thing to do is to go on the attack, speak to Satan, yell at him, say all, you know, chase him away, send him to the pit, you know, claim all these things. That, that's not what the Bible says. You, you don't see Paul ever advocating that. That's not what scripture says. We're not to do that. In fact, the Bible says just the opposite. The Bible says, and I told you this before, that when Michael the archangel had to deal with Satan, he said, the Lord rebuked you. And, and he showed absolute respect for him. He didn't, he didn't go on the war path, throwing all kinds of things at him, yelling into that. There's to be a respect for angelic dignitaries, the Bible says. So what do we mean by being, using the sword in, in an offensive way? 
For example, it becomes an offensive weapon. It just happens this way. You don't even have to try to do this. It becomes an offensive weapon when you use it to defend yourself. For example, it becomes an offensive weapon when you use it to turn discouragement into encouragement. It becomes an offensive weapon when you use it to turn sadness into joy. You're going through a difficult time and yet you, you go to specific scriptures and, and instead of being down and in despair, you now are in hope. You have great hope. You're in, you have joy. Things may have not gotten any better circumstantially, but your heart is different. You are on the offense. The specific truths of Scripture not only defend you from Satan's lies, but watch this, they also serve as a crushing blow to Satan's evil intentions in your life. And in that way, they become offensive, an offensive weapon. There, there is no better biblical illustration of this and how to use the sword of the Spirit in both a defensive as well as offensive way than the way that our Lord Jesus used it when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. I say there is no better illustration because um, illustrations serve one purpose. They clarify. That's all an illustration does. The best illustrations, and those of you who are preparing for ministry or or who teach ought to know this, the best illustrations are biblical illustrations. Why? Because biblical illustrations have biblical authority. Nothing else really does. Other illustrations may clarify and they may be interesting, but they don't carry the weight of Scripture. So when you have a biblical example, that's what you ought to look at. And we do. In Matthew chapter 4, we read that Satan tempted Jesus three times. This is at the start of his ministry, on the verge of his ministry, right after the Lord was baptized by John the Baptist. And he now retreats to the Judean hills, the wilderness in Judea. And Satan comes to him and tempts him three times. And each time Jesus responded to Satan's temptations by quoting scripture. And I want, I want to take you through this. I don't, I'm not going to deal in detail with what our Lord meant in every statement. But I want you to see the, the broad sweep and the principle here. In Matthew chapter 4 verse 3. The tempter came to him and said to him. If you are the son of God command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now remember, Jesus was fasting, so he would have been hungry. And what Satan is trying to do is divert him from trusting God's wonderful daily care for him. By the way, when he says, if you are the son of God, he keeps repeating that. In the original language, the thought is, since you are the son of God, there's really no doubt Satan is not trying to say, well, you think you're the son of God. If you really are, then do this. No, he's saying, since you are God's son, shouldn't you be treated better? That's what he's saying. And Jesus responds with scripture. Verse five, then the devil took him into the holy city, that would be Jerusalem, and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are, or since you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Now you realize what he's saying. Look, if you're the son of God, uh, God will protect you. It'd be like, it'd be like somebody uh, saying, look, do you believe God can protect you if you jump off of the, uh, the spire of, of this roof? I absolutely do believe God would protect me. Do I think he will? No, I don't. I think I'll die if I do that. And that's exactly how Jesus answered when he said, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Why do something ridiculous just to prove that God 
can protect you. If you stand in front of a speeding train, can God protect you? Absolutely. Is God going to do it? Probably not, because that would be a foolish thing to do. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. I don't know anyone who has put God to the test quite that dramatically, but I know many who put him to the test just as surely by their business and personal decisions. Pastor Steve will have the conclusion of this two-part message about the sword of the Spirit when we meet again for another verse-by-verse radio Bible class. Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. His messages come to you over the air through the work of Verse-by-Verse Ministries, a faith ministry supported through the prayers and gifts of listeners like you who are first faithful to their own local church. To hear today's lesson again, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. If you would like to hear this entire message at once, I suggest you order a CD or a cassette by calling us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a phone number, and we will call you back during weekday office hours. That number again is 727 727- 4411714 As with any tool, we get the best results from the sword of the spirit if we know how to use it. When we meet again, Pastor Steve will tell us more about how Jesus used the sword against Satan, and we'll learn how to gain proficiency ourselves with this marvelous instrument. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse. We are here to give you strength between. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.